Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the final fall, the dawn of your Greetings and felicitations, children of technology. A couple of people have asked me what that means, and that is courtesy of Pete Steele and Carnivore. If you don't know that, go and check out the two Carnivore albums, Carnivore, Carnivore, and Retaliation, two of the most amazing records from the 19... 80s, welcome to episode 110 of Agitators Anonymous. It's still season one. Well, at least until someone presses that red button and puts us out of our misery, Mr. Putin, or whomever that may be. Well, episode 110 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, uh, just a singer in a heavy metal band, trying to make some sense of the, well, you know the rest. As you can hear, my voice is still not quite fixed. It should start to worry me by now, but it is what it is. A couple of people have commented quite nicely on the sexy timbre or tombra of my uh, newly found shredded vocal cords. Let's just hope it's not a node or whatever that is, which you need to stay quiet for a year because that would be um, unbearable. Maybe bearable for most of the people who know me, but for me, well, staying quiet for a year I don't know if that could be possible. Anyway, anyway, the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. If you're in North America, you can use the promo code ALAN and you can get 10% off your order. I'm hoping to expand over, um, well, at least to offer you all a few other things um, when it comes to sponsors and deals and interesting uh, money off this and that and the other. But, you know. But, you know, these these things take time to put pen to paper and all that kind of thing. Tuesdays will keep rolling as the sort of more metal musical kind of Tuesday. In fact, what I might make Tuesday is a bit more of a review show. Take a look at some new releases. 
um, some, you know, more relevant, more um, musical discussions around gigs that I've been going to or, you know, something a little bit more like a sort of magazine kind of show. Magazine? Yeah, of course. The printed word is dead. Mr. Averill, don't you know that? Why are you using such out-of-date words? Well, this episode might as well be called Old Man Shouts at Clouds kind of thing. I'm staying in the remit of the music industry, of musical culture, of subcultures, all that kind of thing. Um, Some of you send me messages going, when are you going to go back to the politics? And I think, to be honest, um, everyone just got a bit worn out. As I said, oh, inertia, um, a feeling of just being worn out talking about um, Ukraine and gender and um, all sorts of other things. Um, Not that I talked much about that, but you know what I mean. Um, I'm not going to be making as much modern social commentary right at the moment. I think everybody's tired of it. So let's, you know, just discuss music and a few other things in relation to that. Now, this one, I suppose, is music by way of social commentary. I should mention you can follow me on Instagram at nemtheango underscore primordial, N-E-M-T-H-E-A-N-G-A. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Alan Averill. Other podcasts, rehearsals, various other things. Um, are happening over there. But this episode, like I said, old man shouts at clouds kind of thing. So this is a kind of observation of um, the death of the record store, what that meant for us as teenagers, and some of the things that seem to be, at least anecdotally or talking to my friends who have young teenagers, and just my observations of society, how things have changed since that moment. And I think fundamentally my hypothesis is changed for the negatory, changed for the negative Um, And I should get into why that may be. So, old man shouts at clouds. Well, let's not say old, shall we? Let's be polite and say middle-aged or something of the equivalent. Anyway, I said something the other week which was like, oh, young people suck or whatever. And I got some polite pushback from people. And it made me think about a few things. Um, One of them being... And I am quite thankful for this. Um, I won't call my parents cool. Even uh, uh, that sounds pretty odd. But I think that I was thinking about musical inheritance and how that formed and shaped us. Of course, I'll get into the record store stuff um, and how, how that was super important to growing up and super important to your formative years. But first of all, I'd like to kind of examine the idea that at least I had parents who liked music um, back in the day. We're talking like early to mid 1980s now, back when you first started really being aware of music, aware of what a song is, Um, maybe 82, 83, 84, when I was about eight, nine, ten or seven, eight, nine, maybe when you went, oh, that's that's a song I like. I like this. Give me all your love and ZZ Top, which soon melded into ACDC, whatever. But my parents, who were not avid music collectors, now they didn't have a musical instrument on the wall or anything like this, which I do think if you're out there listening right now and you're any um, kind of parent having somehow, as if you need parental advice from me, but having some form of a musical instrument in the house for a kid to pick up or not pick up is pretty important. And I'll get to this near the end of the the, the ramble. But um, my parents had maybe 60 odd vinyls to leaf through once you kind of came of age and you realised what the record player was, you realised, you know, the the physical action of taking out that vinyl from the sleeve. Very important. In, and something you will never get from a file or from a stream is the physical interaction. Like I said um, before in interviews, 
um, years ago, um, not that you would have been following them, but the idea that somebody can download every single musical thing I've ever made, probably in a few minutes, and play the intro to the first song, go meh, and just drag and drop that and put that in the bin. And that's everything you have ever created can just be dismissed in a minute, two minutes. And that kid can go online onto a, you know, a <clears throat> onto a forum onto a you know discussion piece and go ah tried to listen to them didn't like it too slow boring etc etc but the physical interaction with an old vinyl as I said this will be old man shouts at something um, and the leafing through of those vinyls and that simple action of um, interacting with music I can clearly see now set me on the way to a lifetime's um, love affair with music although it must be said that some elements of the pandemic challenge that but maybe that's for another podcast but taking out let it bleed by the rolling stones for example and putting the needle on that the very first time and hearing um uh you know the rolling stones for the very first time it sort of set you on a path and then looking at the looking at the vinyl cover the first time you took out fairport convention liaison leaf for example um set you on a path which was the interactive nature of music, physically interactive nature of music. Um, to, it set me on the path, I suppose, to becoming a collector, to respecting the process of making music. Um, even at the time, you don't really know it. And once you put, once I put that needle on the very first Iron Maiden, um, it made me want to be a singer in a band. This much energy, this as it just, you know, proud or shot out of the speakers and... The initial inspiration, it has to be said, came from my old dad playing Fairport Convention, Chuck Berry, The Rolling Stones, Steel Eye Span vinyls, ZZ Top. Um, you grew up, if not immersed in music, as to call my parents collectors would be a stretch, but certainly around music. And before you were ushered off to bed, they had parties. And at some stage, a family friend always went out to the car to get his acoustic guitar. And then... You would have the sight of parents and friends, fingers and ears, doing a Bono, to not thank God it's them, kind of thing. Um, wow, did I just do a Bono impersonation? Apparently I did. Next thing I'll be at Davos deciding your fate. Well, um, said family friend would go out and get his acoustic guitar, and then everybody would be standing around doing the vocal harmony of California Dreaming. Um it seemed an incredible skill that he had to play off the cuff and sing. Um, I always wanted to do something of the same, but let's be honest, never had the skill or application, hence why I ended up being the singer. But <clears throat> the throwaway comment, I suppose, was in relation to young people. And I mean, in reality, uh, I don't think anyone can argue that music is not as important as it used to be. Um, you know, and I mean, there's always alarm bells start clanging or at least small alarm bells start clamming, clanging when somebody starts going young people because you realise that you've just inherited a trope that everybody who is of a certain age says about young people. But I do think there are unprecedented technological claims to the souls of young people that maybe didn't exist. I think that um, for your average 15 year old growing up now, they are um, facing difficulties um, changes and alterations in the social structure um, that maybe were most, well, not maybe, were most definitely unprecedented. And probably me at 15 is probably nearer to my parents at 15 than I am now to a 15-year-old, for example, I would say. 
or at least um, you know what I'm saying, um, things have changed considerably. And like I said, I don't think anyone can really argue that music is not as important. And that's what I'm going to try and get into in this podcast. Um, And like I said, I don't think anywhere in my own city on a Wednesday, uh, let's take a Wednesday, Wotan's Day. I don't think anywhere in my city are 500 kids packed into a venue to see a band, a guitar band. And I mean, 15 to 20, 15 to 19 year olds excited for such a thing. Compare the charts now to anyone from the 1980s. Um, You know, the competition is fierce. Kids have gaming, among many other things, vying for their attention. And, you know, it was very revealing. Um, You know, last summer, a friend of mine and myself, we sat in the local park and, you know, there were hundreds of kids. I guess it was um, exam, end of exam time. And I just noticed we were just sitting there casually and I noticed not a single band shirt, nothing, no subcultures, um, no musical subcultures of any kind on display. It was very clear that to be different or to be alternative was um, no doubt to be gay um, or queer or whatever. And those kids seemed to represent about five or ten percent of the group of young people we were observing. You know, there was kids stumbling around in high heels and tiaras. I'm no judgment on those kids. Teenagers are trying to find their voice, their niche. But it just strikes me that at one time, at one stage, um, that was, um, the you know, the Cure, the Smiths or whoever else. For what it's worth, I suppose this seemed, um, I suppose, healthier that there was musical subcultures. And of course, I would identify that having grown up around music. I'm not a teenager, of course. Growing up with all the pressures kids have now, I can only judge on my own interactions with my family of the same age. But it was very striking that there was no musical subcultures on display, not even a wayward Metallica shirt or a wayward My Chemical Romance shirt. I picked them because they just happened to be playing here the other day. Um, so I kind of returned to the origins of my throwaway comment, which was sort of related to something I said in a podcast a year ago. How do subcultures, how do I say that again? How do subcultures survive the pandemic? Because there's no doubt the business landscape uh, will change and it's proving to be true. Live venues are disappearing. Places for bands to play are closing. Stages are being dismantled. Um, But quite simply, somewhere in the city to hear some reasonable music. And I don't mean, hey, why aren't you playing Abominations of Desolations? Although that said, I did walk into a bar in Gothenburg, Gothenburg, Sweden, after we played on our tour the other day and they were playing Falling Angel of Doom. Shout out to the Abyss Bar. But goddamn, even just a little bit of Bowie would be fine. It's a kind of, as I said, a rambling commentary. I use that word again. This must be, if I had a sort of list of the lexicon of Agitators Anonymous, I'm sure rambling inertia is what I should have tattooed on my forehead. However... I was just in the observation of these kids. It struck me that there was no musical subcultures on display. And it's something I very rarely ever see when you're walking around your city. Once upon a time, as I said, my local bar, which is quite middle aged in its outlook. um, You could stroll over for a pint and to read or write and you would hear Tom Waits, Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen. You know, it's not all bad, but now. Well, Now, I asked one of the older dudes 
What's up, man? Everyone in the bar is over 40. You can see this. It's 6 p.m. on a Wednesday. Is there really a need for Megan B something or Cardi B or just straight pop music? Um, Just seems kind of incongruous, doesn't it? What happened? He looked up from cleaning his glass. Oh, I never noticed, he said. No, I understand now how one has become immune to your surroundings when you are there every day. But what was clear, the young kids working on the floor, this was their music. Of course, if I owned a bar, this ain't happening. But of course, that would never happen with the outrageous rents in my city for anyone to trying to do something alternative. <clears throat> Am I, um, you know, my old uh, friend Dara from Invictus and I talked about it in a bar in Zurich airport over a few or ten pints. This ain't really our city anymore. Um, you know, I, I'm jumping around to conclusions, but um, all the old, the odd places that existed are gone. Bars gutted and reinvented as this fake new world kind of bar, endless cool kid coffee shops. My God, do we need any more coffee shops? We certainly don't. You don't see any kind of characters anymore. Um, and you've heard me say this before, but it's easier to go to Saturday morning, um, you know, um, slam po- poetry brunch than it is to see a rock band playing on a Friday night. And that's a sign of the times and a sign of gentrification and a sign of the kind of people who move into cities. Um, it's You could call it the social victory of absolute pop culture or pop music. On these terms, it's, like I said, absolute. And in a country like mine, you can tell me in the comments, I mean, how is it in yours? But there isn't really a dive bar playing some rockabilly. And if there is, how is it able to survive? Of course, the, the effects of, well... This is, a, this is a post-pandemic comment, but the effects of working from home are now coming back into sharp focus. Um, all the things I told to my friends who loved it initially have kind of fallen into place. You don't get that office romance. You also don't end up at a band you never heard of on a Wednesday night anymore. All of those social components are missing. And this is, I suppose, what I'm driving at with this podcast. And that is the antisocial nature of modern society is existing to separate people. And how do subcultures, how does music even really adapt to all those things? You will say, of course it does, of course it does. But as I'll go on to say, I think the hypothesis is pretty negative, which you would have expected, right? Why do I care? Why do I care? Well, well, let's come back to the, um, you know, the cool record collection, or at least to have a record collection. And that's what I was starting off with before I got sidetracked by my grey matter. Um... I had about 50 or 60 or 70 records to look through, to physically interact with. And I even in the 90s, I wondered about this. Um, I wondered, um, were kids going to inherit simply an old box of CDs, a parent's CD collection, 10 or 20 CDs, Oasis, take that, um, whatever else was popular in the 80s. There's your starting point. The law of diminishing returns, um, as in what sort of childhood and relation to let's say you know young adolescent relationship to music is encouraged by a couple of old blur cds the answer is i think not much there's your starting point um it certainly feels like every decade there is kids finding their way to musical subculture that seems further and further away more difficult to get to why do i care like i said well why do we care about the principle of art surviving Um, Like I said, I was in Zurich lately and there's a kind of area that at once upon a time was squats, grew out of the left 
um, political left of the city morphed into uh, in part into the sort of gay area of the city and here I'm eating a great plate of falafel and you know there's a jazz band playing in the corner yeah I mean a jazz band in the corner old guys in tom bowler hats and blazers playing swing and there's a few crates of second-hand vinyls to look through now it does feel like I'm bit I'm in some sort of a, an ad you know I'm in a sort of ad campaign well at least I probably would be airbrushed out but at least it feels a bit like that but there's no other way of looking at it it certainly is something alternative whatever your opinion about that coming from a city where nothing like that really exists I'm in a jazz band of old dudes playing in a corner those things just get shut down by the relentless push for profit and gentrification and the will to price artists and anyone else out of the city in the name of multinational progress. More hotels, more apartments, no one can afford, more ramen noodle shops, more barista DJs, etc., etc. It warmed the heart to see something which seemed at least to exist on the opposite side of the fence. But I sense the pressure across most cities in the West on those alternative hubs is immense. The age demographic moving, moving upwards. They are, people are working from home and there are no young people to replace them. Um, and can they survive? It's hard to say. Certainly, um, I've been in many cities in Europe where you, you know that um, the areas I'm kind of talking about are sort of squat areas or sort of areas that have been left to elements of the city to inhabit and do as they please. They certainly, this certainly doesn't exist in, I would say, two thirds of European cities, maybe three quarters or more. And um, there's a couple that exist here and there, but they have problems of their own. Eventually, I guess it's not hard to imagine that drug dealers come in and all that kind of stuff. It's, but that's probably for another podcast. But like I said, I sense the pressure across most cities on these alternative hubs is immense. Um, and at least my city is pricing the people who were born in it out of living there. They, it's impossible. Um, it's impossible to afford somewhere to live. Um, I mean, why wouldn't you rage against capitalism if you can never afford a house, a roof? Some, uh, some roof over your head is um, one of the most essential parts to be able to accept your place in civic society. Now, that has broken down almost completely. So I think this is partly to blame for the rise of um, some very extremist views among young people amongst all the other polarization, but they see no way in to the society and especially to break the grasp of an older generation who seem to hold the reins to all of these things. Well, what can you say when your country is run by octogenarians, huh? Who wouldn't want to rail against that? Anyway, I digress. But once upon a time, um, when the cost of living in these cities was less extortionate and the price of living was less cutthroat, it was easier to have something off the grid. But things have changed. A certain kind of person now can only afford to socialise in the city. Certainly not my city anymore. A kind of tech person of a certain age, gig economy, political viewpoint of a certain persuasion and fashion sense. You know the kind I'm getting at. That on the surface seems alternative. But... It's all really only for show, at least as far as I can see. And I don't feel it's part, you know, of my um, historical appreciation of my city, or at least not the artistic appreciation of the city, because there doesn't really seem to be space for a musical subcultures within that. Look, things have changed. A certain kind of person, as I said, seems to have inherited the city. So, but I return to my original point. 
inheriting a bunch of files was maybe what was in your future, what, 10, 15 years ago? Is that what you get from your parents? Hey, here's an old hard drive with some old songs on it. Uh, oh, well, this isn't compatible with my new, you know, my new computer. Oh, well, well, look, you can find it on Spotify. Or maybe nothing at all. Maybe there is no musical inheritance, um, which is clearly evident in the fact that popular music these days seems to be driven by the clickbait energy of nine or 10 or 11 year olds. And um, this is who modern music is aiming their energy at. And you may have noticed, if you've ever clocked into some of what modern pop music is, how infantile it sounds. If you actually take a listen to Billie Eilish or something like this, it sounds like music from a child's cartoon. But that's because most of the people listening to it are 11 or 12, or at least it's aimed at them. Um, a, a good friend of mine told me a very strange um, you know, well, I suppose it's not strange, but a story about his son uh, who's becoming very good at a musical instrument, very good at the piano. <clears throat> and um, he hears him playing from downstairs and goes, oh, what are you playing? And he's playing, um, you know, motifs from computer games. And he's playing along to them. He's very talented. And he tries to encourage him. Why don't you go out and join a band? He's like, well, I don't I don't know anybody else who plays. And well, the sad reality is he doesn't seem to have the same peer group of friends. And certainly when, um, you know, my said, said mentioned father plays son and daughter, and this is something anecdotally I hear a lot, a record or something in the car, it doesn't hold kids' attention span for longer than a minute, minute and a half. And they don't really seem to have the interest in whatever an album represents. In fact, not even really what a band represents or the concept is. Like I said, music is a small little, um, is a small segment to be played on your phone uh, or on TikTok, which I will get to. Old man shouts at TikTok or computer game music. Anyway, and the sad fact is that um, when, you know, he was encouraged to go out and form a band, just like we all did, um, he really sort of didn't seem to know how, like, how does that work? How does one do that? Of course, I didn't know everything when I was 12 or 13. But, you know, you could have just held up your hand in the in the schoolyard and gone, who wants to form a band? And you would have instantly been hit up by loads of people. Yeah, I have a guitar. I can do this. Blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, you were encouraged to spend time in the music room in my school and you could book yourself in a Wednesday and bash and bang on drums. Seems like things are quite different. And kids' relationship to music is completely different and Anecdotally, this is what I keep hearing from my friends who have kids who say, I've tried to get, um, you know, um, my kids into interested at least in music. And um, it's, you know, not really happening. And it made me think, and this is where the second half of the podcast, you know, dun, 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 um, I'm going to get into. It made me think about the importance of the record store in our development. Um, in Ireland, that was the sound, in Dublin, that was the sound cellar. Um, and about this this modern lack of a social hub for young people has some kind of symbolic representation. Everything, of course, is online now. No, it just doesn't need saying. It's a kind of stupid sentence even. Um, and young people answer in studies now that their most important relationships are almost all online or a great percentage of them. Um, so the sad death of the record store, um, I'm going to use as a symbol for this. As, of course, in Dublin, as I said, it was the sound cellar where all the metalheads went. On a Saturday in 89 or 90, there were so many metalheads outside tape trading, hanging out, yeah, drinking cider, of course, um, like 50, 100 people or more, and dozens of thrashers in, well, you know, more than that, tens of thrashers in other cities 
in other areas across the city. Amusement City, the arcade springs to mind. Um, but the record store was a social hub where you knew your friends would be at some stage. You didn't really need to make arrangements. You knew they would be there. I would take the bus to school every morning and get off two stops early and run the extra kilometre, or rather sometimes just walk and be late, but in order to save 25 or 30p on the bus fare. Um, save five of them, and in 1988, you had maybe two or three old pounds. Add this to the few quid, I think it was five I got from my parents, and you had enough if you cut some grass or painted a wall for three second-hand albums, or two at least. And I mean, imagine that in 1988. Um, and all of those records I still have, they're surrounding me right now. Me and my mate Carl would meet at around 10 a.m. on a Saturday, wait for the cellar to open. Um, I'd have called the cellar, for example... Um, you know, the previous evening to go, do you have the new Exodus? And the sound was open at 10am on a Saturday. Um, I used to ring them every weekend. Um, have you got the new At War album, Retaliatory Strike? Every weekend. And then the one weekend it happened to come in, you were on the next train in to buy it. But um, you were waiting outside the shop for the shop to open, to be like the first person who was buying Fabulous Disaster, for example, by Exodus. Um, and as early teenagers, you know, as sort of early teenagers, being up at 8 or 9 a.m. is quite impressive on a Saturday. And then we had about a dozen haunts, uh, vinyl stores, bootleg shops, uh, to scour for old vinyls. And that extra 50p you'd saved might be the difference in affording that old Venom 7-inch or not. Of course, the guys running the shops were exactly like the John Cusack high-fidelity character. Um, if you've never seen that movie, it's worth um, a look. But generally grumpy dudes with little patience. But over time, you won them over. Um, and there's no doubt there was a form of hierarchy. The guys who got the stool at the end of the record store counter, you know, the guys who had a few years on you, um, they were the faves. They were the favourites in the shop. And the sniping and smart arsery of Dublin was always being thrown around, the slagging, as we call it, um, you know, which is like casual mockery. But you fought the slings and arrows of outrageous um, chat and fortune and braved it to be the spotty teenager with a greasy fringe to get that test pressing. Eventually, you won the cranky old dudes over. You were here to stay, or at least for the time being, a diehard, hey, pun intended. So to say, at least you earned your stripes. Um, that first or second time I wanted to go down to the shop, I guess I was 12, too young to really be allowed on my own. And I won't forget my mother coming down with me uh, to make sure I spent my money right. Um, and, you know, to it was, I think, a birthday or something. And there was a dozen older metalheads standing around looking at this little dude with his mom, sweaty hands, um, sweaty hair, hands trembling. Oh, I got bonded by blood and hell awaits uh, that birthday. 1987, maybe it was, or Christmas 1987, bought by my mother in front of a dozen judging frowns. Um, in reality, they probably weren't doing that at all, and they weren't remotely interested in what I was doing, but it felt monumentous, tumultuous at the time, a huge step, your first ever couple of records you owned, and as soon as you were allowed into town on your own and got to know all the little haunts, the weird shops, the Dublin characters, the crazy occult bookshops, the, yes, and there was one, um, the curious places, the bootleg shops, um, and now, sad to say, over 30 years later, they're almost all gone. And there are certainly no gangs of teenage goths, punks or metalheads hanging out, learning to grow up within their social subculture. I'm trying to bring them all these strains round together. The city's soul 
would seem to me to be to have been given over to corporatism and gentrification. The characters are all gone, long dead. Um, and if you were, if someone said to me, hey, you know, you have some unlimited funds, create that bar that at, tw- at 19 you would have liked to go to. I would have to ask, would anybody show up? Hard to say, hard to say. Times change and I ain't starting a reggaeton bar. However, but this cultural hub is what formed us. It's how we picked out our peer group. The outcasts, the alternative kids, the metalheads, the punks, the young gay guys who choose to hung out, to hang out with us, who we were in their peer group. We were their peer group, the Goths, the Smiths heads, the Cure heads, um, all hanging out on a Saturday, shopping cassettes, shifting someone from another subculture. Oh, you got the shift. The shift is kissing, if in case you need some old Dublin explanation. And um, it was also your support group. I can remember a story of um, a bunch of us together, maybe four or five of us. We all fancied the uh, goth girl in our group who looked a lot like, well, to us, a sort of um, elusive Susie and the Banshees type character. And you went with the vinyls you bought that week and, um, you know, you played them. And the deal was you all had to sit and listen to everybody else's vinyl. First time I heard Minor Threat, first time I heard The Cure, first time I heard The Smiths. Um, and all of the old kids kind of you know, took to hanging out in the one big group. Um, They were, you know, I guess the opposite of the jocks or whatever, um, even though we didn't really have that expression in Ireland. Um, But, you know, it was your support group. Um, You discovered your burgeoning hormones with other uh, kids going through the same growing pains rather than, for example, taking your social cues from something online or behind a keyboard um, or a 15-year-old influencer on the TikTok. If you're a bit confused about your sexuality, I guess you identified, you had Bowie, you had Morrissey, you had Robert Smith um, of The Cure. And you, you know, this is kind of what informed you that you were not alone out there in the world. Now, I'm not t- going to paint it all in, in sort of romantic, rose-tinted glasses. James Hatfield spoke to my anger and alienation. And Metallica was my, you know, outcast band. Whatever your teenage mood you found, for the most part, your subculture. Now, not to say, of course, um, I only view this through rose-tinted glasses. Dublin was poor, um, and there was a lot of casual street violence. Getting into a fight on a Saturday in the city in 1990 was almost a given, especially if you had long hair. Um, and I ain't going to be all macho and say, oh, it was character building. I could have done without a kick in the head outside immolation in 1991 or being chased by punks across the city um, or fighting in the park outside the Grove which was a teenage disco, but it was what it was. Certainly our peer group was important. And still to this day, I meet the old guard from 88 to about 93 at gigs. I play in a band with some of them, see them at shows. And one of the reasons they're still around is that those formative years were so important socially. You made friends that lasted you, well, so far, a lifetime as we've got to this point. Um, Do kids now... I mean, are they forming those some kind of relationships online? You couldn't, you wouldn't have thought so. Um, that how does a how does an online relationship just um, keep going through you know years and years? It it can't it it can't be sustainable. I would imagine, unless of course you're being encouraged to live online all the time, or perhaps become your meta avatar. Then you can, I suppose. Um, <clears throat> but it strikes me that all of this is gone. My friends with young teenagers talk of listless, sullen kids who don't seem to have peer groups or friends the same way they did, who sit in silent groups watching other uh, other people play games on a screen, just want to play video games and chat with other kids on headsets. 
um, like I said, who recognize musical motifs from games instead of actual songs um, and having the patience to get to a side of an album. Um, I remember I worked for labels when I worked for labels. Oh, I remember when I worked down the mines. But when I worked for labels, this discussion was, how do we, how do we, what's TikTok? How do we get onto TikTok? Look, the average song, listen, is 16 seconds on TikTok. Is that the future of the music industry? Certainly not. And it's certainly not going to be its saviour. It will be its, um, you know, another nail in its coffin, if you ask me. But a perfect amalgam of the instant and all too brief nature of modern communications Kids get their politics from other kids on social platforms and they get their musical cues from dances that last 15 to 30 to 45 seconds. I mean, look, of course, that record store, it went online. Some of them survived. um, But what is that really? An online record store catering to the same folks who were there as kids, only now grown up. um, spending their extra money on vinyl, still searching for the first pressing of an album from 90 a middle-aged demographic who got their vinyl buying habits from those days, those old days, and spent propping up the counter in their local record store and annoying the grumpy old guys. Hey, will you play the new Bathory album, etc., etc. But the sad fact is, and that's kind of what I'm talking about, is about social hubs and subcultures and how they how they gestate, how they how they gave birth to you know kids who wanted to form bands who were active in their scenes, who wanted to go out there and you know tour and get in the back in the van and all that kind of stuff. But um, the the sad fact is, the store, the record store, doesn't exist anymore as the springboard. The modern equivalent um, doesn't it doesn't really exist anymore for the modern equivalent of, well, me or you, probably you, um, a teenage version of yourself to go into and hang out and pester, as I said, the grumpy dudes, play the new Morbid Angel or play the new Smiths record or play whatever. It's the same guy um, who ran out only sitting in front of a screen with a room in his, you know, his or her suburban house full of vinyl. Um, I'm talking about the people who run those stores. Um, And they're just, you know, click clacking in front of a screen. It's a living, sure. But as an important cog in the social hub of a city, not anymore. Now, I may be just talking about the music industry, music and the record store and its importance on this podcast, but I probably could be talking about more or less anything. Whatever subculture or scene you were involved in back in the day, I don't know, comic books. I remember there used to be a Dublin Horrortron where they used to have three days of showing horror movies back to back and they used to have directors over and they used to have actors over all sorts of exciting stuff and I knew the people involved in that and then it just went online and now I don't think it exists anymore so if you're a horror movie fanatic you don't have that one yearly thing to look forward to to be you know for your to be to meet other horror enthusiasts um, etc etc now I would hope there's people maybe you form those relationships online and then meet in the real world but it seems less and less likely and for us it was the record store that was the the springboard so the synopsis i suppose um and this is where it gets a bit darker is the reason why so many teenagers now uh, suffer from anxiety depression suicide self-harm all these things seem to be through the roof um because i sent i think that the identification with the actual physical subculture and social support group that came, that came along with being a cure head or smith said or whatever you were your musical peer group or whatever else you want is gone and it ain't coming back. And the replacement is entirely digital. From the, and for the most part, I think we can all say that um, 
the digital influence is by and large a negative social influence on young people's lives and their upbringing. That at least is this podcast's sort of rambling hypothesis. As I said, it could just be old dude shouting at clouds. But just a couple of things got me thinking about the importance of that record store, about the importance of, you know, the turning over the vinyl, that that physical relationship to music that set us on our way and how our early peer groups that we had were also our support groups. They were also our way of understanding, um, you know, your raging hormones, trying to understand your place in the world, um, finding songs that spoke to you, um, all of that kind of thing. And... It just feels, I suppose, the synopsis, as I said, old man wonders, is that all a thing of the past? Answers in the comments, if you wish. Uh, Let me know how off the mark I am. Let me know how on the money I am, whatever you think. Episode 110, my friends, is about musical subcultures and how they survive. Can they survive? How your formative years um, were based around that hub of the record store, which is now sadly gone. Patreon.com, Alan Averill. You can go and support the show. Or, as I said, Nemtiango underscore Primordial. Follow me on Instagram. Primordial underscore Official, etc., etc. But this is the Alan Averill podcast. This is not the Primordial podcast. I must make that pretty clear. The views expressed herein of um, the human um, monkey known as Alan Averill do not represent the overall views of the collective band of misfits and reprobates called Primordial. My friends, I thank you. Planet Satan over and out.